time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Roseborough. You know, those Mondays, they come around pretty quick. You know, last time I checked, it was like Friday. And then it turned into Monday. There was this little brief pause, a Saturday and a Sunday. But man, I had a pretty good weekend on some fronts. Spent a Saturday afternoon down at the shooting range. Not golfing, actually uh, <clears throat> practicing my Second Amendment rights with uh, some friends from church. And uh, now, I think I've said in the past that I'm not much of a gun guy, but man, did I have fun. <laughs> I, I think I just might turn into a little bit more of a gun guy, but uh, this show isn't about guns. <laughs> You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and um, this is the show where what we like to do is we take like to take a look at what's going on in the current religious scene. And ask the question, is this biblical Christianity? And uh, and do some comparative work between what's being said out there and what's being uh, presented in the scriptures to see if what's being taught out there in the name of Christianity is Christianity. We cover news. We cover theology. We cover just about anything that's going on out there in the name of Christianity and ask these questions. So today we've got a great program lined up. We've got some good listener email. Got a weird news story about spiritual leaders who've gathered in Aspen, Colorado. Aspen, Colorado. Made famous by the movie Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Don't take that the wrong way. I'm not... That could be misconstrued. All right. So um, we're going to dive into our program here. I got an email. This came in actually as a comment over at fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, Scott writes, and I'm assuming Scott is in Texas somewhere, although he didn't give me his locale, only because he at one point attended uh, Fellowship of the Woodlands there in Houston, Texas, or outside. It's a Woodland, The Woodlands is a suburb of uh, Houston, and I, the only reason I know that is because my mother-in-law uh, used to live not too far from the Woodlands. And so when we would visit for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, we would uh, we would head out to the Woodlands, or you know, to the Woodlands, go shopping. And uh, so I know I know where the Woodlands is. And so Scott writes regarding our review of uh, Carrie Shook's um, sermon, self-help coaching session. I See, that, it's hard to say that that was exactly a uh, sermon. It, the name of it was Sermon on... Uh, I mean, uh, uh, was it Sermon on... Uh, what? Ah, I forget the name of it. Yeah. Roseboro, you're getting old. I cannot believe I keep doing that. It, it basically, it's seek, seekonomics, seekernomics or something like that. It has to do with, you know, apparently balancing your finances in the opening part of the, uh, 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 not the opening part, but chapter six of the Sermon on the Mount taken out of context is all about how you can uh, experience financial things. And he talked about the importance of going from the blessed zone or the stress zone to the blessed zone. Apparently that's what Jesus is all about. Although I can't ever, I cannot find anything in my computerized Bible that says anything about a stress zone or a blessed zone, I'm beginning to think that those are completely made up by Carrie Shook. So Scott writes me, he says, the motivational talk by Carrie Shook should be entitled The Recycle Zone. <laughs> he says, I used to attend this church for about five years, and I left two years ago because I finally saw the light. Well, yeah, I can see that. And he says, as I listened to this episode, I wrote down quips, sayings, etc., that I had heard Carrie say in many other speeches 
when I when I used to attend. They are the following. Now, keep in mind, it's been two years since I've attended, Scott writes. He says, uh, the, apparently these little quips or sayings that Carrie Shook gives over and over again, the terms blessed zone, stress zone, God blesses you to be a blessing, God gets the leftovers, sandcastles on the beach, worth what someone would pay in self-worth and, self, uh, and net worth. Um, are all apparently recycled phrases. Well, you, you know, Scott, I actually I understand that that would you know be the case about recycled phrases. You have to understand that even though purpose-driven guys don't claim to be liturgical or claim to follow a specific lectionary, because, I mean, the last thing we, they'd want to do is put God inside of a box, which, by the way, is what uh, the Jews did to Jesus after they crucified him. I mean, Jesus was put inside of a box called a tomb, <clears throat> Sorry, I digress. So um, the thing is, is that the purpose-driven churches do have a lectionary. They do have a set number of topics that they that the that, that really creates the full spectrum of their teaching. And then once they get to the end of their spectrum, they start back at the beginning of the spectrum and they go through it again. And uh, not to be mean or anything to uh, purpose-driven guys, but their spec their preaching spectrum pretty much is limited to things like first of all casting the vi- recasting the vision for the church that God has supposedly given the pastor um, talking about finances talking about stress talking about bad relationships talking about um, how to be a better parent how to be a better spouse how to have better sex um, how to have a more fulfilling career uh, aka living your purposes then during the summer when things get slow what you do is you go through uh, you you go you do a sermon series on the latest movies so that you pick up culturally relevant themes, and you know that's that you know there may be some other things you know which is part of the reason why Triple X Church exists because what they're trying to do is make an argument and a case for um, making sure that pornography is considered one of those things that gets onto the circuit every year as part of the purpose driven lectionary. Got to put in, put that in, and that, then you got the deeds not creeds and the importance of going out and. And, you know, making the world a better place kind of stuff. And so you always have those things that are woven into it. And I think now you can even say that you've got the let's be the church rather than, you know, go to church thing. So, you you know, this is all part of their lectionary. And then once they exhaust that, then they go back and do the whole thing over again. You know, it'd be nice if they um, actually did a real biblical lectionary. Now, in the Missouri Synod, I'm a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and the church that I attend follows a lectionary, which means uh, basically every three years, the gospel readings and the and the biblical texts that are covered in our church, in our church services, are going to be the same, and we follow a liturgical calendar, which means that there's different seasons of the year. Now, we happen to be at the tail end of the liturgical year, which means uh, this past Sunday... Um, was kind of like the the first of three sermons that, you know, three weeks that we talk about things as it pertains to end times. And so, um, but this, that's, we're starting at the end rather than the beginning. But in the Missouri Synod Church where I attend, um, the church year begins with the first week of Advent. So we're actually winding up the church year right now, and we're getting ready to celebrate the new church year, which will officially kick off with the first Sunday in Advent. So you have Advent, then you have uh, the season of the Epiphany, uh, then you get into Lent, 
then you get into the Easter season, then you get into the Trinity or Pentecost season, um, and um, and then the whole and then the tail end of Pentecost deals with sermons and passages that deal with the end times. And so every year there's a rhythm to the year, um, but it's not it's not theme based it, it per se. I mean, there's you know, it, well, I guess you could say that it's theme based in the sense that. Um, you know, Advent is looking forward to God in human flesh, the epiphany having to do with the revealing of Christ, the, the season of light, uh, Lent more of a somber uh, time of year, really culminating in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the, you know, so Holy Week with the triumphal entry, Jesus being crucified for our sins and the forgiveness of sins, and then the joyous part of Easter where things really come to life. Um, so there's there's a couple of different somber seasons. So you can say that they're themed in that way. But what happens is, as far as the, t- the passages that we're reading, uh, we're on a three-year lectionary. So every three years, we go over the same track. And rather than putting God in a box, I actually find this to be an extremely freeing way of doing, uh, d- uh, of doing church, if you would, because it covers all of the major portions of scripture and the different themes in scripture once a year and then each year it's a slightly different look at it it's almost like a spiral staircase you have you have ever been in a you know on a spiral staircase so what happens is, is this is a three-tiered spiral staircase you know one year we're looking at it from this level we go up the staircase we look at the same we look at the same track so to speak because it's circular but we're looking at it from a different level and then again you know it ascends another third year and then you go back and reascend the stairs and so it's really a great way of doing it and um, it ensures that we're we're really covering lots and lots and lots of biblical territory in those three years as we look at them as they're themed according to the different uh, portion of the church year that that you have. And um, C.S. Lewis has a book called Letters to Malcolm, and which is a it's, it's I recommend the book. And he, in there he has a really good case for the liturgy and doing church this way. He he kind of likens church to. Uh, a, a comfortable pair of old shoes, and the nice thing about doing church in that way is that there's, you know, it, it's something that you're familiar with, you're comfortable with, and you're not terrorized by the the fad of the moment. But instead, you, again, you know, you it, it's something that you can breathe and live in, and and it's it's part of the routine. That routine routine is not your enemy in church, by the way. Routine is actually your friend. Um, constantly changing and morphing all the time, and not knowing what to expect. That is not that is not a good thing and that there's more fear and trepidation in that and angst caused by that than there is in having a church where you know what to expect Sunday after Sunday and so anyways coming back to Scott's email what he's talking about here about the fact that Carrie Shook is it's the recycled zone well that's just because he's going over the same track you know at least you know put something of a good construction on here but let me let me let me say what uh, let me read the rest of this email Kerry simply recycles his messages with different themes every year chris you did an excellent job of accurately critiquing his shameful message not only did Kerry fail to mention the verses of the sermon on the mount starting at chapter five that would have accurately set the context of what jesus was teaching but he can conveniently stop before chapter seven i would like to hear how he handles verses uh, 13 through 23 well, well, let's go ahead and put the challenge out there. Hey, uh, Carrie, if you're listening to Fighting for the Faith, uh, you know, you, you kind of just gave us some passages here at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. And we'd like to know how you would handle chapters, you know, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Let me read these uh, for you. It says, quote, enter by the narrow gate for gate. The gate is wide 
and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are, are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, that's a challenging passage, folks, um, because here you, you see it's the religious elite, literally, <laughs> The uh, religious superstars, the ones who are casting out demons and prophesying and doing mighty works in Christ's name, that Christ is saying he never knew. That should challenge all of us. Scott continues, says, My family and I now attend a good Bible-teaching, God-centered church. Today, uh, Pastor Richard Caldwell continued in his series on First Peter. It was entitled, The Work and the Wonder of Eldership, and covers First uh, Peter 5, 1-4. through 4. I recommend that you listen, and he gave me a link. So, uh, Scott, I will definitely take a listen. And uh, thank you for the email. So, All right. Let's see here. The other thing that really irritates me about this. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, we, we've got uh, we've got an email here uh, regarding the three minute testimony. Remember last week we uh, we covered the news story where apparently one thousand six hundred people have become Christians, according to the Baptist Press, uh, because of a three minute long video at and, and you can find it at three minute story dot com. And uh, and along with uh, getting a three-minute story where supposedly at the end you are so convicted of your sins that you repent of them and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. Um, but the good news is is that you can answer a couple questions and fill out a form, and, and your, your name is entered into a drawing for a brand-new vehicle. Yeah, it, there's a, they're giving away – you can pick one of three things. It's either a Dodge Ram truck. Uh, a Jeep uh, Wrangler or a, a Chrysler 300. So, I mean, you know, talk about cool. And the nice thing is, is you don't even have to make a decision for Jesus in order to be entered into the drawing. So, and so far, you know, at, when as of the time we aired on Friday, there was only 6,300 people who had put their name in for the drawing, which means, you know, you got a 1 in 6,300 chance of winning a new car. I mean, those are good odds. Great, great odds. But uh, I played the audio from the video here on the program uh, in order to comment on it and get your feedback. And um, Ray writes from Los Angeles. This is the guy who also uh, tags his emails with uh, that quote from uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. that says, you had to kill him. The guy cries you a sweater of tears and you kill him. Great quote from SpongeBob SquarePants. He says, Chris, the other thing that really irritates me about this video is the music. It is purely emotional manipulation, same as the music chosen for the movie for a movie or a TV show. It's supposed to elicit what I would call a sad but hopeful state. 
Whether whoever is listening to it realizes or not, it's the type that would go along with a terrible yet hopeful story about a 17-year-old girl who was raped, impregnated, and whose child went on to be a pastor. Well, you know, let's uh, Ray, let's take a listen here. Um, going to open up my web browser, and we're going to go to 3minutestory.com, and we're let's do a little bit of musical analysis. Three... Now, let's see, three minute story.com. Yes, sir. There's the uh, the vehicles that you could potentially win here. And uh, let's cue this up and see if we can, let's see if how sappy this music is here. There was a 17 year old girl that was raped by an 18 year old guy. And as a result of the rape, she became pregnant. And a lot of people say she needed to have an abortion. But this 17 year old girl decided not to have an abortion, she decided to have the baby. Nine months later, she had a six and a half pound baby boy. And that baby boy is me. And I want you to know I'm not here today by accident. Just like you're not here by accident. But but I didn't understand that. I didn't realize that until one day I was sitting in church. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't go to church much. And when I did go, I usually didn't pay attention. And I hurt for the... Yeah, you know, Ray, I agree. That's uh, emotionally manipulative music. And definitely, I think that the thing that they were shooting for was that sad but hopeful state. You know, the weird thing about it is that it doesn't sound like they were playing anything in particular. You know, it, it it just pick a key on the, you know, as far as if you know a little bit of music, just pick a key and kind of pluck on a couple of piano, hit a couple of notes every now and then. Let's I mean, does this sound like a recognizable song to you guys? First time in my life. That God loved me and cared about me. I didn't know that God knew my zip code, much less he loved and cared about me. But the guy that was talking that day said that I had a problem. i got to stop. I feel my emotions being manipulated. Good night. No, I don't think that's any particular song either. You know, it, when I was at the Reveal Now conference, oh, man. Oh. they uh, One of the days, um, they actually had... Uh, the second day of the conference, reveal the reveal conference, they had the, quote, model example of a worship experience. And I was literally crawling out of my skin. Oh, my goodness. Um, my notes that I put up at, uh, at, um, at Extreme Theology were anything but flattering. Um, oh, it, here's what I wrote. It says, day two began with nearly 60 minutes of a very emotionally manipulative praise and worship time, complete with emotional angst. Furled eyebrows, tears, and guided reflection about what is God speaking in your heart, about the things that you need to change, culminating in an exercise uh, challenging all of us to write down what we experienced during the worship time. And, oh, man, it <clears throat> here here's continuing on. It says, I experienced the sheer frustration and the all-engulfing feeling that I'm going to crawl out of my skin if I have to listen to another minute of a pastor speaking in a sappy, in sappy therapeutic tones while the keyboardist plays softly in the background. And my question at the time was, how did group therapy, emotionally manipulative worship experience, become the norm and the predominant view of what worship is in the Christian church? And so, you know, not only was it in this video, Ray, but I mean, I would say this is predominant throughout all of these, you know, these churches now. I mean, literally, I swear, I can't, I cannot personally, I cannot personally sit in a church service while the keyboardist is playing softly in the background and the pastor is guiding us through some kind of manipulative emotional exercise. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that absolutely just 
gets my ire up and, and sends me to the door. You know, and the only reason why I didn't do that on the second day of the reveal conference, it just happens to be that I got in, I didn't get there early enough and I got a bad seat. I was right in the front. So I think leaving in protest might've actually, <laughs> people would have looked at me like, what's wrong with him? So I sat through it and, and blogged about it. Oh man. <laughs> Folks, we got to, you know, pastors, if you're listening, quit with the emotionally manipulative music. How have you ever stopped to think that the Holy Spirit has been making Christians out of pagans for millennia before the keyboard was ever invented? You know, we don't need it. And quite frankly, it's the kind of thing that absolutely just as a man is offensive to me. You know, there's a great book out there about why men hate church. That's this is one of the reasons why this man hates those kind of churches. Can't stand it. I mean, I'm not at church for group therapy, and I don't appreciate being emotionally manipulated. Manipulated. Sorry. <clears throat> manipulated. Don't like it at all. Just don't like it at all. Anyways, uh, Ray continues. It says, if they really want to save uh, people using a sad story and sappy music does not not get people in the right frame of mind, it's to take the Romans verse is to its fullest and convict them of their sins so they see their absolute need of Christ as their Savior. Right on, Ray. Absolutely. Enough of the... Okay. <clears throat> I'm... Okay, folks, I'm going to really sound chauvinistic here. And I apologize ahead of time. I understand that uh, current American sensibilities, you know, are about to ha- to be squashed by my complete male problem here because you know that's what i am i'm just an angry male that's all it is is that isn't talk radio is all about angry white men so and i'm just an angry white overweight white man you know a guy of girth but um you know put away the sappy music that's a feminine way of doing this and that's not the biblical way the biblical way is very masculine and uh, the masculine way of doing it is to boldly unashamedly proclaim God's word in all of its stark, politically incorrect glory that convicts men of their sins, shows them their utter depravity, drives them to their knees, whereby they then trust in Christ for their you know, for salvation after hearing about Christ's mercy and grace and forgiveness one on the cross. You know, this this thing uses emotionally manipulative music as a means of putting you in the right frame of mind. So that you feel sad but hopeful. And blah. Blah. Sorry, but after listening to this, I feel like I need to head back out to the to firing range and <clears throat> let off a little bit of ammunitional s- steam here. You know, I was, I'm, I'm actually looking at purchasing a firearm now. I think it'd be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, okay, it's to take the Romans first to its fullest, convict them of their sins so they see their absolute need of Christ their Savior. Of course, with the ridiculous car raffle, the whole opportunity is spoiled from the beginning. My, my thoughts exactly, Ray. What's with the car raffle thing? You know, people have been coming. I, there was no raffle offered when I became a Christian. None. I didn't, have, I didn't even get a lovely parting gift. Yet alone an opportunity to win a new car. 
you know, feel gypped. I mean, I'd like at least, you know, new car. I could use a new high definition, big screen television. That would see, I, I'd, I'd make another decision for Jesus if it would get me a big screen television. Anyway. Mm-hmm. All right. Re- regarding the act like a Christian rap. Remember, act like a Christian is the song that, um, uh, is supposed to be the Christian version of act like a cholo. Um, it's one of those earworm songs and, uh, you know, just absolutely ridiculous. If you're not familiar with that, let me, uh, let me see if I can pull this up so I can play for you a couple of bars. Um, here we go. This is the act like a Christian song. All my homies all up in the church. Let me teach you how you're supposed to act like a Christian. You see, when you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, then there's a different way that you're supposed to live. Like a Christian. Hands up high. Elbows out, out, hands up high. Elbows out, hands up high. El- elbows out, hands up high. Like a Christian. All up in the ch- All right, I can't stand that. <laughs> okay, so uh, Gregory writes uh, from uh, Rancho Cordova. He says, uh, first of all, I cringed when I heard the Cholo version. And he says in parentheses, which is actually better, completely agree with you. I'd rather sing the Like a Cholo song than Like a Christian one. He says, I'm also a little embarrassed by the song because I'm in, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. Then the Christianized version, ugh, I'm embarrassed as well. I'm sitting here at my desk cringing and laughing at the same time. Is it wrong to actually want to hear more of this kind of stuff? <laughs> Christianized versions of today's music. It's a guilty pleasure, I guess. But if they start Christianizing classic rock and old school, then the end has come. You know, actually, I think they already Christianized that, and we, um, you know, we have examples that we can go to now from the graveyard of relevance. <sighs> Elbows up. Church, we on time. Looking for a few people for game time. I need a couple big boys so we can win. Who's ready to give us new? Man, that's a saying. Okay, I like you. I like you, but I don't like him. We play some crazy games on Wednesday night. Then on Thursday morning, we get ready to go back to the high school. That's where we can live a whole uh, week. We'll be uh, acting like a Christian, like a Jesus. Oh, that's how I can handle. Oh, man. <sighs> All right, Ben writes. Now, see, Ben has discovered that I'm on uh, Facebook. <laughs> And uh, yes, you can. If you want, you can look me up on Facebook. And if you ask me to become your friend, I will become your friend. And uh, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm not very discriminating in that sense. So, and yes, that means you can actually chat me live. If you if you catch me on Facebook, you can uh, send me an instant message. And chances are, I will actually respond. I I don't mind chatting with you all when I'm on Facebook. So he writes, he says, I remember something back when Triple X Church was getting started going to porn shows and bringing Bibles. They made a bunch of comments with how much trouble they were having finding a publisher that would let them use their cover. Their cover says Jesus loves porn stars. Now, here's the funny thing. I don't actually have a problem with the cover of their Bible or the fact that they're giving out Bibles. I wish they weren't giving away the message paraphrase. What a waste that is. Um, But uh, the, the message that Jesus loves porn stars. Now, I understand they're shooting for some kind of double entendre and they're trying to be, um, you know, reaching out in a positive way. I mean, Jesus loves porn stars in the same way that it says that Christ, you know, that, that, that God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It'd be nice if they would clarify that and not make somebody have to hunt through the message paraphrased, you know, to figure out the context there. Um 
And the problem is, is that if you don't have faith, you're still under God's wrath, which is really no fun at all. Anyway, so Ben writes, he says, it may have been that, that that's the only, um, the, only the message would, you know, the people who published the message paraphrase would be the ones who would let them use their cover, Jesus Loves Porn Stars. Yeah, that, that may actually be true. All right, now here's <clears throat> here's a fun one. Last Friday, I was talking about how um, people in Southern California, they cannot handle the rain. Now, I wasn't complaining about the rain. Now, I've got a listener in, in Alaska. And actually, i got a few in Alaska. One of them happens to be my dad. And um, my dad lives in Sitka, Alaska, and they get like anywhere from 90 to 130 inches a year of rain. And so... Of course, you know, he had to chime in after hearing about us poor Southern Californians. We're getting some moisture, and it was the end of the world. He says, uh, now, Dear Chris, uh, now you're, t- you're talking about the, su- the rain in Southern California is one thing, but you, know, you do know I live in a rainforest. Yes, Dad, I know that. I've been there. He says, uh, we, we have rain 90 to 130 inches a year, depending on uh, only on God knows what. Feel free to use our weather as a comparison, and maybe the people in Southern California will not complain so much about something that does not even qualify as rain in Sitka. <sighs> I'll leave it to a parrot. <laughs> Dad, I love you. I love you and I appreciate you, you know, your concern here. And I understand we Southern Californians are complete wimps when it comes to the thing that we call rain, which doesn't even qualify as precipitation in most states. I, you know, I understand that. But, you know, this kind of sounds like that uh, argument about, you know, eating your veggies because there's starving people in Africa. It just feels like that kind of thing, Dad. I just want to let you know. But thanks for writing in, and thanks for listening. Anyway, all right. We're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, ask the question, what is Rick Warren up to? What was he thinking on this one? And then we'll, t- we'll, uh, we'll take a look at a news story about spiritual leaders who, are, who just got done gathering in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, there was 150 spiritual leaders from around the world. They descended upon Aspen. Uh, over a four-day period to form a collective voice of peace in an effort to bring healing to the nation. And uh, wait till you hear what these guys are all about. And the photograph is all kinds of fun. I'll put a link up to it at fightingforthefaith.com. But uh, we're going to take our first break. So if you would like to email me about anything you've heard so far on Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. I'm here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. 
Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. Do you think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. All right. Got a weird offbeat one for you. I'm going to play this more for getting your feedback than necessarily doing commentary, but knowing me, I'm going to have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. Um, somebody sent me an email over the weekend pointing me to a YouTube video, um, and it says Rick Warren on Steve TV. And all I could say after watching the video was, huh? What? I, I showed my son, and he looked at me like, Dad, what was the purpose of that? And I showed my wife, and she says, is that really Rick, Rick Warren? Mrs. Roseborough had a hard time believing that, that that was actually Rick Warren, and I assured her. I said, honey, I, I've met Rick, and uh, that's him. And uh, to kind of set you up for this, because I know you can't see it, um, the video is an interview between Rick and a character by the name of Festival Steve. And um, you can find it on a littleleaven.com. It's still on the front page. Uh, a littleleaven.com. It's at the Museum of Idolatry. It says Rick Warren on Steve TV. And I took a screenshot of uh, one of the frames in the video. Rick Warren has a camouflage, a camouflage hat on sideways. And Festival Steve... Um, 
looks like he lost the genetic lottery and you know he's kind of the uh, stereotypical redneck with bad teeth looks like he could be somebody who chews tobacco uh, not the brightest bulb on the earth and um, you, at the Museum of Idolatry I said this video is bizarre and we're not sure what the purpose of this video was or even what Rick Warren was thinking in the video, it looks like Rick Warren's been token the ghost while he chews the fat with Festival Steve from Steve TV. And I put a little warning in this. It says, warning this video may be offensive to rednecks, to hillbillies with bad teeth, and the, the cavemen from the Geico commercials, or any Christian with enough biblical sense to know that pastors are called to behavior that is higher than this. Um, so I'm going to play the audio from this, or at least a few minutes of it, just to kind of get your feedback and, and understand Rick Warren is sitting there talking to this redneck character with really bad teeth. And, um, yeah, he, 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 he sounds like he's been hanging out with the token, the ghost crowd. So this is Rick Warren on Steve TV. Festival Steve. Yeah, Festival you're, Steve. And you're Festival Rick. Festival Ricky. What kind of brothers with different mothers? Yeah, a, a brother from another mother. A brother from another mother. Yeah. That's right. Tell me something right now. Did you wear that shirt on purpose? Of course I did. I do everything on purpose. Yeah, I like that. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. That's where I was going. Always on purpose. That's where I'm going. Uh, by the way, that's a Hawaiian t-shirt. That's a Hawaiian shirt, and Rick has been saying that he hasn't worn a Hawaiian shirt in a while. I think we have video evidence now that says that well, as of uh, November of 2008, Rick had recently worn a <clears throat> Hawaiian shirt. Hey, what do you what? Hey, you've been here in South Dakota a couple of hours. Have you ever been here before? I've been to Sioux Falls before. What, what yeah. for? Because uh, I like the meat at the meat packing company. <laughs> I tell you what, on a summer day, none smells finer than a little John Morales in the air. Oh, I like to smell that when I look at the falls. I, I kind of say, come smell our dairy air. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's yes, good. dairy air. Yeah, you I got it. That. You I got it. That. I said that on purpose. You, uh, you're, you're a you know yeah. comedian. That's right. I'm, I'm, we're kind of we're kind of two peas in a pod. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, as you as you uh, you know you go all over the uh, probably the state of California. You probably been you probably been to uh, Nevada, maybe. Nevada. Nevada. Maybe uh, as far as. South Dakota. South Dakota. When you're in the car, you got your iPod going, your whatever, you got your yeah, tapes yeah, in there, eight yeah. track, whatever it is you listen to. Yeah. What are you what are you rocking? What's your favorite music to listen to? Oh, I listen to every kind of music. Literally every kind of music. I do. Uh, you know, at Saddleback Church, we really do. We have twenty different kinds of music every Sunday. I can't. Yeah, Rick's telling the truth there. Hey, if you don't know this, at Saddleback Church, they actually have these things called venues. There's all kinds of different Saddleback venues. They have a venue. If you would like to go and and uh, and experience uh, hula dancing, you know, as part of uh, praise worship, then they've they've got the Aloha venue. Um, <laughs> they have. I swear, I kid you not. They have all kinds of different venues. Just. Whatever your flavor of music that you like to listen to, they've um, they've got that. I wish I was making that up. What's funny is is we spoofed it, but even our spoof isn't that funny on uh, because uh, it's practic. It's really actually true. Sounds like love flat. It is. No, I mean we don't got twenty stages, yeah. but we're getting there. But you're there. That's right. Your stage. That's right. You got you're, you're on the corral. We got the corral number corral, five. Corral number five. I can smell it now. All before me. Yeah. So tell me something right now. 
I'm telling you something right now. You tell me something right okay. now. Okay. You're heading back to Cali. Yeah. Leaving tomorrow or tonight yeah. or leaving yeah. on a jet plane. Don't know when you'll be back, back again, again. 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 As you, you're a pastor. Yeah. No, no, you got that wrong. I live in a pasture. You live in a pasture. I live in a said, pasture. I live that, in a pasture. The, I'm the, not a pastor. I live past, in a pasture. And that's what they call a pasturate. That's right. The pasturate. The pasturate. Yeah. Exactly. So, you, so I shepherd. You shepherd some sheep. Yes. You, I, you love the Lord. I do. I have a flock. I have a flock. Now, now here's the a thing. Herd. What you know? Uh, no, not a herd because uh, they're I, cattle. No, no, I heard that. Yeah, you heard. Oh, you heard that. Now, when you head back home, mm -hmm. you be thinking about stuff on the plane. Think about stuff you saw here, stuff that you experienced here. What's gonna be your favorite memory, of Life Flight? Uh, the thing I love about Life Flight was in the absolute pouring rain, nobody moved. Yeah. Nobody moved. The place was absolutely riveted, and during the entire message, they were just standing there listening and it didn't matter how wet they were i got you i got you so you you love the lord you love people you love the lord i tell you what he's the greatest yeah have he's you ever better than about, a festival have you ever thought about the lord giving you a, a little orthodontist work i'm not familiar with that term no ortho ortho meaning uh, from the latin from the, from the latin meaning along in the mouth right and, and a dentist meaning uh, a very painful Right. So orthodentist. So he just spent a lot of time in my mouth, and it'll hurt a lot. It'll hurt a lot. Yeah, no, I'm not interested in that. Not okay. not one bit. Thank it'll you. It'll help you grow. It will. It will. Character. That's right. And pain builds character. And you're a character. And I'm a character. And I've been building. You're building. Just like you. Muscles. Brothers from another mother. Uh-huh. Well. Uh, okay. <clears throat> All right. So toodle on over to a little11.com. And uh, and then you know, or you can go to YouTube and type in Rick Warren on Steve TV, and you know just take a look at it, and um, you know, you know just tell me what you think. I mean, I've got my own take on this. I just think the whole thing's a little bit bizarre and a little bit weird, and uh, you know, I I understand that some pastors like to be funny. Um, if that was what he was shooting for, he didn't succeed. Um, you know, but I uh, would love to get your take on this. I mean, there, you know, you, you've heard it and would just like to know your feedback. I mean, is this make any sense to you? Can you give me <laughs> some way of understanding and comprehending it? Cause it just seems silly and weird to me. And since he's America's pastor you know, Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving along, we have a news story from um, from from the Aspen Times. We've got a news story from the Aspen Times that we're going to have to – I've got to read this to you because kind of a uh, – this is a story of things to come, I think. And uh, it's definitely de something we need to take a look at and comment on. So uh, here's the uh, headline. Spiritual Leaders – Gather in Aspen. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. Group hopes to to discover a collective voice by Carolyn Sakarisian of the Aspen Times in Aspen, Colorado. Aspen, by the way, was made famous in the movie Dumb and Dumber. Um, okay, so we continue. Aspen. Uh, about 150 spiritual leaders from around the world have descended upon Aspen, Colorado 
working together over four days to form a collective voice of peace in an effort to bring healing to the nation, which is facing unprecedented challenges. Now, the photograph here uh, from the Aspen Times, and I'll put a link up to this story at fightingforthefaith.com, uh, shows these leaders, and behind them, they've got banners with symbols from all of the different world religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, some of the Eastern religions. So um, this is definitely what we would consider ecumenical in the extreme. Um, so it, they, the story continues. Today marks the final day of the Global Peace Initiative of Women's Gathering Spiritual Voices of America, which is being held at Dora Hoyer Center in, at the Aspen Institute. The gathering was deliberately scheduled two days after the presidential election. Organizers said that during the past several years, the nation has become politically and religiously polarized. The initiative is an effort to end the divisions by tapping the values shared by all religious traditions and focusing on the vision of unity. Dr. Tom Coburn, president of the Naropa University in uh, of Naropa University in Boulder, said he has found the summit to be extremely significant in that it has recognized people's commonalities and celebrated their differences. Quote, I think last week's election is symbolic of a change in American culture, but also in the in in its consciousness, he said. What this conference is doing is to bring together hundreds of people who are manifesting that in their that in their work around the world. The goal is to find a new vehicle for religious leaders so their collective voices can provide guidance in times of crisis and be an inspiration for a new type of activism based on love and compassion rather than on fear and anger. Included among the group are Father Thomas Keating, senior monastic, St. Benedict's Monastery in Old Snowmass, Rabbi Zalman Zaktur Shalomi, founder of the Jewish Renewal Movement, uh, Ven, V-E-N, I don't know what this, I don't know what the venerable, I don't know, uh, uh, Behuku Bodhi, chairman of the American Buddhist Association, the Reverend Joan Brown Campbell, formal ge- former general secretary of the National Council of Churches. Oh, you got to love Joan. Uh-huh. Uh, Swami uh, Artu, uh, um, yeah, I, rather than torturing these people's names, let's just say that just about everybody from everywhere, every religion was represented at this little thing. Quote, It's so great to have these spiritual leaders in all faiths in Aspen at the Institute, which was founded on mind, body, and spirit, said the Reverend Greg Anderson, chaplain of the Aspen Chapel. The premise of the gathering is that the spiritual landscape of America is changing. Okay, so that's the premise. The premise is the spiritual landscape of America is changing. Is this progress? It's changing. It's true. I mean, yeah, okay, granted. We'll say, okay, the religious landscape in America is changing. Is this a good change or a bad change? Um, yeah, because, I mean, the economy changed in September. There was That was change. Yes. Yeah, okay. It, you know, not a good change for some people. Yeah. Like, like the entire country. <laughs> but that was change, okay? Yeah, that was kind of like a wrecking ball of change. So, um, 
Organizers said that the religious voice of the fundamental Christian right has dominated the country for several years, and it represents a minority of Americans. That's why the initiative conducted an extensive search to find respected leaders from the Hindu, Buddhist, Sufi, contemplative Christian, Jewish, and Muslim faiths who are advocating for the superior who are who aren't advocating for the superiority of one faith themselves or their churches. Aha. So basically, this is a gathering of, quote, religious leaders who don't think their religion is true and that everyone else is false. You know what? If that's the case, you know, Jesus couldn't have been invited to this. True. Okay. I know, John, that that's hard to believe, but it's actually true. I mean, of course, that's if you are to believe the eyewitness testimony about what Jesus said and did. Right. I mean, if we can't trust the eyewitness testimony as it's given to us in the biographies of the new, that are written in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you, know, then you could just make up your own Jesus. You know, that pesky Jesus of the New Testament, though, according to the eyewitnesses, said such inflammatory things as, if you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. You know, you know no one. And apparently to the you know, people who were practicing false religion, he says, you are of your father, the devil. You know, things like that. Um, so bad news here, folks, is that if Jesus were having his earthly ministry today, he would not have actually been invited to Aspen. Not loving. No, no, because um, he he actually makes these pesky statements about himself. Like he actually he's got a God complex. You know, yeah, of course, he proved that he was God by raising himself from the dead three days after they crucified him. But just a small, that's just a, you know, who cares about that? Okay, so, okay, so the initiative was conducted, the, why the initiative conducted an extensive search to find respective leaders from the Hindu, Buddhist, Sufi, contemplative Christian Contemplative Christian is the is, so they're using the word contemplative to modify the noun Christian. Okay. Um, hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, by the way, there was somebody there, uh, Brother Achalananada, <laughs> who is the senior monastic of the Self Realization Fellowship. Self realization. What is that? What's self realization? I realize I have a self is, is I think therefore I am. I've just self-realized. I don't know. Anyway. So, so it wasn't just Christians who were there. It was a particular flavor. They were known as contemplative Christians. Uh, folks, if you think contemplative practices are, are theologically neutral, you are dead wrong. Okay. Uh, Christians practicing Eastern mysticism in the, in the guise of Christianity, that should have red flags written all over it. Not only is it not a biblical means of grace, it's not how Christ grows us. And, you know, this the search for solitude and the Lectio Divina and all that kind of stuff, that stuff ain't ain't got its roots in the Bible. It's got its roots in, in apostate monasticism, semi-Pelagian practices. Um, okay, so they had Hindu, Sufi, Buddhist, contemplative Christian, Jewish Muslims, and people who aren't advocating for the superiority of one faith themselves or their churches. This is supposed to be considered progress. Well, from a Christian worldview, this is considered to be 
um, not progress, but the opposite of it. This is this is heading us back, you know, to to worse times. Why? Because none of these other religions are true. Not one of them. Okay, God's not going to you know consider your acts of obedience to the Hindu gods as somehow working out you know towards your salvation. Why? Because you're not saved by your works; you're saved by what Christ has done. And Christ has these really exclusive claims. So Jesus wouldn't have been there. So, okay, rather the intention is to draw upon a, co- the, upon a collective wisdom to reflect on how to address the most pressing issues facing the nation, the economic crisis, increasing poverty, environmental degradation, and climate change. Well, the way we do with this is we look at it and go, ah, birth pains. Yeah, these are birth pains heading toward the end of the world. Oh, I'm so fatalistic. Sorry. Um, yeah, Okay. All right, degradation of and climate change, the fear that has permeated the nation since September 11th and the terrorist attacks, quote, we have come together across spiritual lines because that is where great mystical energy resides. Really? That's where great mystical energy resides? Can you, can you prove it? Yeah, have, have any of you, do any of you know of a device that can measure mystical energy? Are there any mystical energy meters out there? Serious. Oh, Ghostbusters might have had one of those things. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, pull out the mystical energy meter. <sighs> Man. Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. It's, it sounds like a sentence, but it really doesn't mean anything at all. Neither did this sentence, because that's where great mystical energy resides. The sentence means nothing. We've come together across spiritual lines because that's where great mystical energy resides. Blah, 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 blah. Words that have no meaning. Said Benedictine Sister Joan Chitzer, co-chair of the Global Peace Initiative of Women. Quote, there is a type of activism that comes out of contemplation. Anything else, anything else is social action. GPIW is a New York-based nonprofit founded by a multi-faith group of women spiritual leaders since its inception in 2002 at the United Nations in Geneva. GPIW has been working in many of the world's conflict areas, including Israel, Palestine, Sudan, and Iraq, to support peace. You know, I believe in peace through strength. I like Reagan's way of doing it. The way you defeat communism is you make more nukes than they have. And make them try to keep up and ruin their economy. That was a great way of doing it, you know. <sighs> Frankly, I thought Aspen quote quote. This is what she says. Uh, oh, wait, sorry, I missed a sentence. Dina Miriam, founder and convener of GPIW, said while in Aspen, said while Aspen may be a departure from prior gathering places, it is a perfect venue for such a pivotal time in the world's history. Quote. Frankly, I thought Aspen was just a playground for the rich. She said Friday. But I found great energy and beauty here as I saw a as I saw a great network. Colorado has something special about it. The summit wraps up today, starting with meditation and yoga at Aspen Meadows Gym. <laughs> Quote, a new spiritual energy is emerging in the country. This is Miriam saying. She said, just as political as the political landscape is changing, so too is the spiritual landscape. We must tap this new energy to gain a forward-looking vision of how to advance our national well-being. Well, there it is. Ah, 
all of the religions are coming together in one big happy melting pot and finding all this commonality. And I don't think this is positive stuff. I actually think that's a problem. Why do I think it's a problem? Because um, Scripture's clear. There's only one God. First commandment given in the Mosaic Law, you shall have no other gods before me. None. Period. There are no other gods. None. So all of these people coming together in their mystical union in the hopes of creating some mystical energy are basically fooling themselves. And uh, what's the Christian response to this? We can't participate. Okay? Real Christians can't participate in this kind of stuff. Well, because we have no real common ground with these other religions. They see the law as somehow the common ground. Well, we love God and we love others. That's not common ground. That's the common, that's the common ground that condemns us. That's not the common ground that unites us. You see the problem? I wonder if McLaren was there. Sounds like his kind of event. Yeah, Brian McLaren of the Emergent Church was working <laughs> very, very hard to get Obama elected. And uh, he was uh, experiencing joy and elation at the rise of Barack Obama. Provocative Bible magazine makes U.S. debut. <laughs> you got next news story here. I, I took a look at this thing. It's, it's bizarre. From the uh, Christian Post, uh, Friday, November 7th, a controversial magazine that intertwines Bible passages with provocative poses, images of Hollywood celebrities, and snapshots depicting human strife and triumph has hit the U.S. bookstores after gaining success in Sweden. It's, a, it's basically a book of really good photography. And then they do is they put Bible verses in each of the different things. But I, there was one picture that's really gross. Um... It showed somebody wringing the neck of a roasted duck. It's like, bleh. Anyway, <laughs> arranged in a magazine format with columns, Bible Illuminated, the book New Testament, uses running text instead of verses and features photographs, captions, and call-outs to deliver the stories in a contemporary way to provoke thoughts among readers. Apparently, Bible passages in and of themselves are not capable of provoking thoughts, so we need contemporary photography to help us out. I mean, what does this tell you? If you can't sell your photographs, just throw some Bible verses in there and people will buy them. It's the way the Bible should have been done. Yeah, right. Apparently, that's right. You see, it, see if Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Jude, James, you know, if, if Peter, if those guys were still alive today, they wouldn't publish the New Testament with just words. They would have used... <clears throat> anyway. <sighs> Here we go. The... Uh, er, uh, quote, I don't want to push religion on anyone. That is the heart of the project, says Dag Soderberg, co-founder of Illuminated World, the Swedish-based company that has published the Bible Illuminated. Uh, he has a thick accent if you've listened to him. Uh, the book, the title that appears most predominantly on the front cover. Illuminated World's mission is to provoke thought and dialogue about texts that undoubtedly have to had a huge impact on post-modern society. Ah, postmodernism. As former Swedish advertiser who says he's spiritual but not religious. How many times have you heard that? I'm, I'm spiritual but I'm not religious. What does that phrase mean? Folks, I, you know, I could sit there and I can claim all I want, that I'm spiritual but I'm not religious. But when you boil it all down, if words have any meanings, uh, no, actually, I'm pretty religious. <laughs> 
And and you know what? So are you. Spiritual but not religious. How do you how are you defining these terms? I have deep and provoking thoughts about spiritual things, but I am not religious. <sighs> While the book is not uh, the first publication to present the Bible in magazine for- format, it is perhaps the most controversial. The Swedish counterpart raised some flags over images including a sensuous kiss and a topless male model emerging from the ocean. Uh, this is the first uh, version of the Bible and guaranteed to get the uh, women hot under the collar. Despite such images, the magazine did receive a positive response from the largest church in Sweden, garnering even a foreword signed by the Archbishop Anders Wiedroger, primate of the Church of Sweden. The book also managed to increase the the Bible market in Sweden by nearly 50% in less than a year, the publishers reported. In Sweden, where an estimated 60,000 Bibles are sold each year, the book reached 30,000 in its first year of sales. So they sold 30,000 of these in Sweden. Yeah, yeah, I'm from Sweden. It's close. It's closer to the way people read today, explained Soderbergh. After the release of the Swedish version, people prefer a text that is journalistically laid out, split into articles with headlines, quote boxes, pictures, and captions. This way they can more easily pick the parts they're interested in reading. Oh, I don't like the photograph regarding the passage here in Matthew 25. I'll go to the next page and read that article. So if I write them a letter, letter headline? Yeah, yeah, because... So, yeah, Okay. Only time will tell how the book fares in the United States, where the largest Protestant denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, is notably more conservative than the Church of Sweden, and last year declared that it's that it's in favor of allowing homosexual couples to have what that it's Sweden apparently said they're they're in favor of having homosexual couples, allowing them to have weddings in church. The publishers, however, are very optimistic. Well, I'm sure it'll be a big seller among the emergent crowd. Um, the, uh, the website, if you want to see this, you know, examples of this, uh, new provocative Bible is bibleilluminated.com. Bibleilluminated.com. We'll put a link up to it at fightingforthefaith.com because I know you all really want to see this. Pro- why is it that we can't just have a Bible? You know, why is it that we always have to help God out here? You, you know what I'm saying? It's not enough just to have a Bible and to actually read it. I mean, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that if some church leader were to get up and say something like, you know, what I've really what I've found to be effective in my ministry, I have problems with those words, but what I found to be effective in ministry is to actually open up the Bible and to read it. And, and, and people would look at that guy and say, it can't be done that way. You can't actually open up the Bible and begin at the beginning of a book and go to the end of a book and expect the people to get anything from it. No, 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 no. We are postmodern. You know, that's so passe. You know, you need to you need to reach people where they're at and based on their felt needs and what they want it to be. Help them to find the parts that interest them. And then you can just throw the rest of that stuff out. I mean, but come on, a whole book of the bible who ever heard of reading an entire book of the bible nobody does that anymore <sighs> what are you thinking yeah. i i kid you not I, I i could just see some guy getting shouted out of a ministry meeting because he said yeah i just you know we open up the bible nothing 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 fancy you know black leather cover you know without the gold leaf you know 
and people can, you know, with the kind of pages that aren't so thin that you can actually highlight them, you know, and write notes in the margin. Oh, it can't be done that way. That's so 90s. <laughs> that's where we're at nowadays. I, but no, see, that's the thing. No one would sell a book if that's what they promoted. You know, you can't sell books like that. No, no, no. We got to get out of the box. Anyway. Okay, we're going to take our second break. And when we come back, I've got a sermon that I want you to listen to. It's a good one. We're not going to do a bad sermon today. We're going to do a, another good one. And it just so happens to be Jeremy Rohde again from my church. You know, I just happened to be there, witnessed it, and thought, wow, that was a good sermon. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass this along to you before it actually gets into the mix on the, on the gift radio program because I want you to hear this one. It's about the parable of the ten virgins. You know, the te- parable. If you're not sure what that, what that parable is all about, stay tuned. Jeremy Rohde does a fantastic job of taking this one apart, and the sermon's really good. And the other thing I like about it is, is that he, you know, he actually kind of distinguishes one of the, a, a, a doctrine that's different than the Lutherans com, uh, compared to somebody who's reformed. Okay, Calvinists believe in limited atonement. Lutherans believe that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Okay, but that doesn't mean that everyone's saved. Okay. So we're not emergent. Yeah, we believe that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. We don't believe in universalism, though. Well, that means that everyone's saved. And that actually comes out very well in the sermon on the parable of the ten virgins. So um, stay tuned, because when we get back, it's definitely a good one. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far, regarding Rick Warren and Festival Steve, or the Bible Illuminated, or the meeting of the religious gurus in Aspen just talk about the changing spiritual landscape and mystical energies email me talkback at fightingforthefaith.com we'll be right back unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren you cannot be saved you're listening to Fighting for the Faith My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus Schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn Radio Program including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Almighty, 
Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Alright, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. And we're getting ready to do a good sermon review. we got to do these every now and then. Otherwise, I get emails from people basically telling me they've become suicidal. Saying, Chris, I can't handle another one of those sermons. I'm going to rip my ears out. So every now and then we got to do a good sermon so that you can, uh, you can hear. You can hear what it sounds like to preach Christ and Him crucified. To preach against sins in a way that convicts men of their sins. And to uh, and to proclaim the gospel that people are saved on account of Christ and what He's done, His perfect righteousness, His death on the cross that propitiates God's wrath and atones for your sins—important stuff. So yesterday, um, if you're following the liturgical calendar that we're following, the gospel reading was from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And like I said, now here we are as we get into the tales part of Pentecost. In our church, um, you know, the, uh, the the sermons start focusing on the end of days, if you would. And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 25, verses uh, 1 through 13, so that you can at least um, hear what the, pa- the what the sermon is based on, because you know, you're not going to hear the, him read the whole passage to you because we do it prior to the sermon. We keep our, keep our sermons short because uh, the male attention span, it doesn't really last too long. So we want our men to, to stay tuned, and we don't want to hit them with really long, sappy, therapeutic stuff. So what we do is we give them really good, hard-hitting 20-minute sermons. It keeps our men awake. Anyway, um, the uh, passage, uh, the gospel message came from Matthew chapter 25. Here's what it says in the ESV. You know, the reason I read the ESV is because I'm so sanctified. And, you know, if you want to be as sanctified as me, read the ESV. It says this, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him, and the marriage feast and the door to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came out also, saying, Lord, Open to us. But he answered, Well, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Boy, that's a tough parable. I got to tell you, parables are not easy to crack. But if you're going to understand how to un, you know, to unwind a parable, especially like this, you got to look for, first of all, you got to interpret it through the gospel, not through the law, not through the Mosaic law. You interpret it through the gospel. Um what should i put this on preaching for christ tomorrow yeah john's asking if i should put this on yeah that'd be great you know we can do that so um either put it on preaching uh, christ for tomorrow or when's the gift on next time looking at the pcr schedule here 
Thursday. Thursday. Well, why don't we put it on Thursday? Okay. This will be Thursday's uh, The Gift so that you don't have to hear Roseboro's commentary. You can actually enjoy the sermon without Roseboro chiming in. Because, yeah, so 11 o'clock uh, a.m. Pacific, you can, you'll can you be able to hear this sermon in its entirety without Roseboro commenting. But it's a good sermon. And it's talking here about parables. Parables are tough to, to interpret. There's an art to it. And if you really want to really get it, what's going on in, in a parable, you've got to keep your law and your gospel separated. Okay, laws to convict of sins. Gospel is is uh, is that which comforts through the the shed blood of Christ. So you don't get into a kingdom, into the kingdom of heaven by your good works. You only get in there by by what Christ has done. Keep that front and center, and you'll be able to start cracking some of these uh, parables. Because if you interpret them through the law, your interpretation is going to come out really bad. Really bad. But uh, this is a sermon from Jeremy Rohde from Faith Lutheran Church in uh, Capistrano Beach, California. And the name of it is Too Late. And watch how he uses the law. Watch how he uses the gospel. And watch how he interprets the different elements of this parable through those different lenses, law and gospel. It's really, really fascinating and probably one of the best treatments I've seen on the parable of the ten virgins. So without any further ado, let's dive into the sermon called Too Late. Grace to you and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's too late. Five virgins come rushing and stumbling through the darkness to the bridegroom's house. They cry out, Lord, Lord, open to us. But it's too late. The door is shut. And the bridegroom responds, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. It's too late. Every one of us knows what that feels like. The little boy knows it's too late to make peace with his sister. She's already on her way with tears in her eyes to tell dad exactly what he's done. The teenage driver knows it's too late to make a better choice. The sirens are wailing and the lights are in the rearview mirror. The piece of gum isn't going to cover anything up. The father of three knows it's too late. Mom went tearing out of the house with a bruise under her eye and she isn't coming back. The elderly widow knows it's too late. She rocks back and forth in her chair thinking how her life could have gone differently. But there's no way to turn back the clock and undo all the petty tiffs and harsh words that have scarred her life and left her with no one close. It's too late. You can't change it. You can't undo it. And though it comes with no grand announcement, judgment has indeed come. Every single moment that passes brings more and more of this upon each one of us. You could have taken back that angry word you said, but now it's too late. You could have fixed that relationship, but they're gone now. It's just too late. You could have changed the whole direction of your life. Bad habits, bad patterns, but the older you get, the less you can change. It's just too late. Time itself seems to collapse upon each one of us like a net that gets tighter and tighter with every struggle, with every passing moment. This itself is the experience of the curse of sin. 
This itself is living in death. One by one, the opportunities to fix it, the opportunities to change it, the opportunities to choose a different path, all die. And death itself is but the final tightening of the net, the final collapse of time, the one last unspoken curse. It's too late. All right, got to pause there. Watch what he's doing here. He's kind of throwing us all into this too late pot. And um, what we're not what we're not hearing from Pastor Rody is, you know, the the clock is ticking. Turn it around quick while you can. Right? You know, quick, fix those bad habits. Fix, live like you were dying. <laughs> That's the sermon series out there, right? Live like you were dying. Rody's not here telling you to live like you're dying. He's already showing you, you are trapped. And, uh, and with each passing moment, the situation gets worse. The solution, you, you, can you free yourself from a net like that? You pull out your handy-dandy spiritual mystical pocket knife like a good spiritual Boy Scout and cut the net free? No, you can't. So Rhodey's not giving you some kind of a Band-Aid solution as if um, any amount of law-keeping for you now is going to make any kind of difference. Like somehow you can turn it around. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Nope. It's too late for that. It's too late. Your sin is too great. It's too late. You can't get yourself out of this mess. Let's continue. What you have done is forever done. What you have left undone is left forever undone. Ouch, that was the line that really bit yesterday. Man, what you've done is forever done. What 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 you've left undone is forever undone. Harkening back to our confession of sins that, by the way, at our church, um, our church is only for sinners. If you are if you are righteous, we've got nothing to offer you. Nothing. We can only give Christ and him crucified to sinners. That's all we got. So, um, in fact, if you're a sinner and you live in Orange County, California, come to Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach. Google us. Faith dash LCMS dot org is our website love to have you if you're a sinner we would love to have you at church on sunday come and and feast with us on the word of god and on the body of christ and to receive the forgiveness of sins if you're a sinner we've got something to offer you if you're righteous already you don't need to come in fact we don't let any righteous people into our church we only take sinners so but here he's you know look what he's done it's too late the thing it's you know and that's the funny thing is, is that what he's really saying is true for all of us. The things you have done are done forever. You can't go back. It's too late. All those sins you've committed, you can't make them right. You've already done them. And all the sins that you've committed through omissions, the things that you know you should have done and you have, haven't done, they're forever undone. It's too late. It's too late. So he's he's taking this this really this dire, terrible feeling that just permeates this terrible story about those foolish virgins. It's too late. It's too late. And he's applying it, the law here, to throw us all into the too late bucket. 
I, I'm not very comfortable there, Pastor. But he, I know you're right. It's too late. I can't undo the things I've done. If you seek forgiveness, if you seek mercy, then look to Jesus and trust in Him. Let your whole life be one of preparation, confession, absolution, one of preparation for the bridegroom's coming. If, on the other hand, you plan to take your chances without Jesus, then pay special attention to the foolish virgins in his parable, for their fate will also be yours. The terrifying reality of Jesus' parable about the virgins is the stark finality of it. When the virgins sleep, there's nothing more they can do to prepare themselves for the bridegroom's coming. And you too, whether you are wise or foolish, will fall into the sleep of death. And your preparation or lack thereof, your faith or lack thereof, will be eternally sealed. Okay, so watch what he's done. He's taken the sleep element from the parable there and, and he likened it and equated it with death. That's a good equation. Okay? He says that they're sleeping. They can't do anything more to prepare or not prepare, right? That's a pretty good interpretation of that passage. That works. But now, even right now, is the time when mercy and forgiveness may be found. For God has indeed sent His Son to die for you, and for His sake forgives you your sins. And where there is forgiveness, there is also everlasting life. And where there is everlasting life, there can be no more collapse of time, no more living in death, no more curse that says, it's too late. Forgiveness and eternal life simply undo sin and its curse. This is the bliss of eternal life that we look forward to. A life in which you will never experience another, it's too late, ever again. Sin and death are erased by innocence and eternity. And that is why this side of heaven we keep our eyes on the crucified and resurrected Lord. For He is the promise, the pledge, for we shall be like Him. But the sad truth of Jesus' parable is the sad truth of this world. Not everyone in the kingdom of heaven will be ready for the bridegroom's coming. The kingdom of heaven is like ten giddy, excited virgins with lamps in hand waiting for the bridegroom to come as He has promised to take us into this everlasting joy for which even now our souls yearn. It's funny how Jesus likens this whole rabble of ragtag sinners and imperfect people to be virgins. Now, this is the important part. Watch what he's doing here with this parable. He's, he's making the claim that in this parable, saying that the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins, that all sinners are being likened to these virgins. How is that possible, Pastor? Well, it's only possible if you interpret the parable through the cross. 
through the mercy and forgiveness of sins won for us by Jesus Christ. Did Christ only die for the elect? Or did he die for the sins of the whole world? This is where this comes into play. Pay attention, because this is a distinctive between the Lutherans and the Calvinists. A symbol of purity and innocence that certainly isn't our own, whether foolish or wise, he calls each one of them virgins. And that is precisely how the gospel works. For the sake of Jesus' death, every single one is declared pure and innocent, whether wise or foolish. So quite contrary to the Calvinistic doctrine of limited atonement, that Jesus somehow only died for a select few, we see here that all are called innocent virgins for the sake of Christ. And quite contrary to that other Calvinistic doctrine of double predestination, wherein God condemns a certain portion to hell, you see here that God does not desire that the foolish virgins be damned, nor does Christ. That's the very reason for his preaching of this parable. As we will see, the tragic reality is that the foolish virgins themselves go running into the darkness away from the Lord. God proclaims that all has been forgiven, that all are innocent, that all are virgins, because Jesus has taken the sin of all upon himself. And so for, the, for Christ's sake, we are likened to ten virgins. But as Jesus says, five virgins are wise and five are foolish. The Greek word for the foolish ones is mori, which if we translate that literally, we might say morons. The kingdom of heaven is like ten anxious virgins, but as Jesus says, five are morons. And this is starting to get real painful. Okay, if Christ, see, this is one of those things that falls into the crux theologicum. How you know? How is it that you know that not all are saved, right? If Christ died for the sins of the world, wouldn't that just ipso facto mean that everyone's saved? No. That isn't what that means at all. And Jesus here likens to ten virgins. Five of them are moronic. It's so tragic that anyone would go to hell. It's just utter moronic foolishness, if you think about it. That's what Christ is likening it to here. And they're morons because by their own foolishness, they're going to end up running away from the bridegroom, straight into the darkness. And they're going to end up missing out on the everlasting wedding party because of their own foolishness. It will be too late for them forever. And Jesus tells us why these five virgins are so foolish. When they took their lamps... They took no oil with them. It's like taking the family on a cross-country road trip and forgetting to put clothes in your suitcases. It's like showing up for court at Judge Judy's and not bringing your evidence. It's like tying 80 pounds of scuba gear on and plunging into the water, but forgetting your air tank. Or maybe 
It's like sitting in church Sunday after Sunday, hearing the forgiveness that God has for you in Christ, even receiving His body and blood for your forgiveness, but for one reason or another, you simply do not believe that it is truly for you. Let me translate here. He's equating the oil there in the lamps as literally the oil of the gospel for you. Christ died for you. Now we're going to he's going to talk about the difference between, you know, by the way, the demons have faith if you would. But uh, he'll get into uh what that all means here. Just because uh, somebody believes the story to be true doesn't mean that they believe the true the story is true for them. That's an important distinctive. So let's continue, Pastor Rody. It's a heartbreaking reality. In the church, there are those who look prepared, dressed and ready to go, lamp in hand, singing hymns, mouthing the creed, but they have no oil of their own. And in the darkness... When the bridegroom comes, they will have no light. Which is a rather poetic way Jesus has of saying that in the church there are fakers, phonies, foolish virgins, who whether through some sort of self-righteous stupidity or moronic malice or whatever else, they go through the motions. They say the right words, hear God's promises, and simply refuse to believe that it is true for them. These foolish virgins may even know the facts of the faith. Reformers refer to this as notitia. The foolish ones might even agree that the facts of the faith are true. The reformers call this ascentia. But for one reason or another, they simply do not trust that Jesus died a real death to take away their own very real sins. This trust the Reformers called fiducia, simple, passive faith that receives all of God's gracious gifts like a cup receives poured wine, like a flask receives oil and keeps it. If you sleep the sleep of death without this simple faith and trust that just receives God's gifts, then when the bridegroom comes, it will be too late for you. And you will end up fleeing away from him in the darkness. Jesus' parable is more than prophetic. The foolish virgins mingle with the wise as the church waits for the bridegroom. The bridegroom, as Jesus says, gets delayed for something like 1,900 plus years and counting. The night gets darker and darker. You see this when you turn on the news. And one by one, generation after generation, all become drowsy and fall into the slumber of death. Our own well-hidden cemeteries hold acre upon acre of sleeping virgins. Some are foolish. Some are wise, and soon you and I will join them. <laughs> Beautifully, artfully done. Amazing. That, that just Talk about making this thing come to life. When you see it that way. Huh. 
we're all about to fall asleep. Some of us are foolish virgins and some of us are wise virgins. But for all the waiting for this end to come, when the end finally does come, it comes suddenly. At midnight comes a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. And the sleeping dead will rise out of their grassy beds to see the bridegroom coming. And all the virgins start to trim their lamps and light them, both to see him better and perhaps even more importantly, to be seen by him, to be known and recognized by him. Indeed, you, wise virgins, already know Him and are known by Him here at His family table, a table of mercy. So your light is lit. But the foolish virgins have no oil of their own. Their lamps just grow dimly for a minute, flicker and sputter out. On the last day, the wise glow warmly with the brilliant light of Christ. The foolish faces are hidden in darkness, shadow, and they are desperate. The foolish say to the wise, Mom, Dad, brother, sister, spouse, child, give me some of your oil, for my lamp is going out. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. Each has only his own. Someone else cannot believe for you. They cannot receive God's forgiveness for you. It has to be you. Each must have his own. And if you don't, then on that last day, it will simply be too late. And the wise virgins turn, shocked, that their dear friends were so foolish not to take oil, not to be prepared. After all, wasn't that the point of all those years in church? After all, wasn't that the point of our entire earthly life? And sadly they say, there will not be enough for us and for you. Each must have their own oil. So go quickly to the dealers. See if you can buy some for yourselves. But it's too late. And this is the one too late that cannot be undone. When the bridegroom comes, the foolish, oilless unbelievers will bolt away from him in a desperately vain attempt to go and buy what they lack, to go and buy what for so many thousands of years was poured out freely. And so they themselves, in the very moment of his coming, flee away from Him into the darkness. But it's midnight. The stores are all closed. Got to give Him props here. I mean, He... Wow. This one's an interesting one because He's not... It's not like He's done some kind of a formula where it's half law, half gospel. He's done the law part. Now He's doing the gospel part. He's intertwining the two like a braided rope. It's really artfully done here. And you feel the complete despair here of the foolish virgins. And you're going, what a terrible fate. And and you feel that weighing in on yourself, don't you? Now, if you were in a law-driven church, 
they would tell you that the oil is uh, your good works or your obedience and all that kind of stuff. Hog wash it is. No way. You can't be saved by the law. The oil in your lamp is not your good works. It's the gospel. And it's poured out freely now. Poured out freely, as Pastor Rody just pointed out. Offered to you freely the forgiveness of sins. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one might boast. And when they finally get back to, the, to find the bridegroom, they see that the door is shut. And they cry out, Lord, Lord, open to us. But when he looks out, he sees faces, dark, obscure, hidden, shadowy, unknown. And he speaks the truth. I do not know you. And the terror of this finality sets in for the foolish ones. This is eternal death. This is hell. Brothers and sisters, this time will come. And Jesus would have you be wise. Wise unto salvation. To fill your flasks with the oil of his gracious gifts. That's why he preaches this parable to you. That's why he says to you at the end of it, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Be prepared for him. Be ready. Right now, it is not too late. So how do you make yourself ready then, Pastor? I'm hearing this and I'm just I'm scared out of my gourd. No, seriously, down deep, if you're honest with yourself, this sermon is making you antsy and uncomfortable and dredging up all kinds of fear within you. Why? Because you know what he said is true. This day is coming. This day could be any time now. Are you a foolish virgin or are you a wise virgin? What is it that makes the difference? That's really the difference, the foolish and the wise. They're all virgins. But what is it that makes them wise or foolish? Do you trust in Christ for your salvation alone? Do you have faith that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he was crucified for your sins? Not just one or two of them, but all of them. Even the ones you feel are too wretched for even God to forgive. We already know from the parable that's not the case because sinners all alike are likened to be virgins. The blood of Christ takes you from a prostitute. That's what we all are, isn't it? We're all spiritual prostitutes, filthy in our sin. And Christ turns us into virgins. Crazy, isn't it? But that's the good news of the gospel. It's not about trying harder. It's not about doing better. It's not about any of that. It's about trusting in Christ. That's the difference between a wise and a fool.
It is not too late for mean little brothers who send their sisters crying to dad. It is not too late for teens who have made bad choices. It is not too late for families that have suffered and been broken. Or even for the elderly filled with regret. It is not too late. Because in Jesus, here and now, there is forgiveness for you. Gallon upon gallon of oil. Gallon upon gallon of grace and forgiveness and mercy and love are poured out to you here in this very place for free. Put it in the flask of your heart and make sure your flask is always full. And in that last day, when you yourself awake from the slumber of death, your lamp will burn brilliantly. Your face will be lit, not with your own righteousness, that would be nothing, but rather lit with the very light of Christ Himself. And while the others are found tragically to free from Him, in, to flee from Him in vain, to buy what you have already freely received, that's the very moment the bridegroom will come and take you into the marriage feast that has no end. Fear and darkness is the fate of foolish virgins. For them it will indeed be too late. And none of us knows the day or hour. But you, you have been made wise unto salvation. And the oil of gladness has been poured into your heart. You are the wise and blessed virgins in whom is the Lord's delight. So do not be afraid either of darkness or of death. When the bridegroom comes, your face will shine, for he has removed your iniquity from you. Perfect love casts out all fear. And it was perfect love that kept Jesus on the cross to pay for your sins. It will be perfect love written across the bridegroom's face when he comes for you. And when He takes you by His hand, you'll see that it still bears the scar of that day when He saved you on the cross. And when you look into His eternal eyes, you will see that every single it's too late that you've ever experienced is undone by one word from His lips. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. All that you have done or left undone, and all that you cannot change now because it's just too late, is simply forgiven and wiped clean in the blood of Jesus. And He makes all things, even you, brand new. The net that once closed upon you is loosed as you waken into this eternal bliss the judgment is undone. The bridegroom is coming to take you skipping and singing to the party that never ends. And when Jesus says that the door is shut, for you wise ones, there is no sweeter word. The door is forever shut and no more shall sin or suffering or death or any harm come to you ever again. Amen.
Love it. That that sermon takes you through the gamut of the spectrum, really, of fear for your own sin and what you've done, all the way to the joy and elation and comfort that is there offered to us in Christ. Freely given, freely received, not earned, but gift. Are you a foolish version or are you wise? And it is God's word in the gospel that makes us wise into salvation. Freely. Love it. Good stuff. Good manly preaching. (laughs) Good gospel preaching. This is exactly the kind of stuff that gets me excited to go to church every Sunday. Every Sunday. I don't get tired of this story. And yet it's the same story every Sunday, isn't it? It's the same story, just told in different ways. It's the same story. Christ's rescue of humanity. Our great conquering king who has conquered sin, death, and the devil and has come to rescue us freely. Freely. It sounds too good to be true, considering what wretches we all are. And yet, it is not too good to be true. It is not. It's so good that it even saves the chief of sinners. Because that's what I am, the chief of sinners. Ah, good gospel preaching. (laughs) Great stuff. All right, we're at the end of of the show here today. If you would like to email me regarding anything we've talked about today, please feel free. You can do so at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. That's talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com at fightingforthefaith.com. Till next time, God bless.